I noticed that in the last years that I was working, that a lot of individuals that were thinking about retirement uh, had a focus in mind. And because those years at, at that time, I didn't realize that I would be retiring uh, as quickly as I did. I, I didn't pick up on it for myself. But what I saw was that there was a real preoccupation for individuals as to where they were going to live, what kind of home they were going to live in, and where they would be after their retirement. And for some, it, it was more consuming than others, but it became quite a topic of conversation. One of the things that a lot of people thought of was, I really don't want to put up with Michigan weather anymore. I'm going to live someplace else. My first amen. But another thing that I saw was individuals were focused on, I want a different home. I'm going to get rid of that home that I've raised my family in, and I want something different. And at that time, like I said, dated back, this was about 10 years ago, what I found that a lot of people were interested in was everybody was talking about having a log home. In fact, this one gentleman um, talked about it. It was his dream. And he had a subscription to a magazine, and I think it was called Log Home or Log Homes. And every month when he was done with that, he would bring that book in. And individuals would look at that, and I was one of them, and we'd say, look at where these houses are. Look at how great they are. Isn't that something? And we were impressed by it. And I thought, when I came across this scripture as a text, I could relate that an individual at a certain period in his life was reflecting on where he was, what was going on, what he lived in, and it caused him to think, about things in a new perspective. With that background, I would like to say uh, the text for today is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we'll be looking at that chapter, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I would ask that you would turn there. I have thought of this message as the faithful covenant God of David. The faithful covenant God of David. And as I was looking at it and studying it, it really gave me three questions that I thought of and I would like us to look at today. So reading first in in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7, we see God's word says, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And the first thing I thought of when when this text was was first uh, introduced to me was, Is obedience to God always a clear path? Is obedience to God always a clear path? Now, I'm not saying and questioning whether obedience to God is a yes or no. I'm saying emphatically it is a yes. We are to obey and follow God. But how do we know specifically what that looks like in our individual lives? And David had that first thought. 
Now, because this isn't part of a, a sermon series where we've come to the point where we may understand who David is, I can't just assume that everybody knows that. David was the second king of Israel. He was given the kingship because Saul had failed to be the king that God had called him to, and that he was anointed by Samuel himself. And we're talking about, is the obedience to God always a clear way? Well, the actual anointing of David starts out by showing us an example of that. And if we, you don't, you don't have to turn there, but if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, we see Samuel himself being told to anoint the next king, not knowing for sure who it is. And listen to what happened. He's ta- this is talking about uh, the sons coming before him, the sons of Jesse. And when they came, he looked at Elib and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is, is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We see that Samuel didn't even have a clear direction exactly what was going on, but he was a faithful servant. So we understand that David was said to be king. He was a young man. He was a shepherd from a lowly background, but God wanted him to be king. And we have to also understand that kings were not God's plan for his people. The kings came about because the people of Israel said, we want kings like the people around us. They literally rejected what God had done and said, I will be your king, and said, no, we want kings like those people over there. And God said, Give them what they want. Let them understand that these kings will be like the kings of the world where it takes their sons and daughters into the service of the king, where it takes their money and uses them for taxes, where they become bold and proud, not like me, but we'll, we'll give them kings. And that's what David was assigned the job of. The next thing that we see is that he lived in a home that was supposed to be of great stature, this this cedar home. But he didn't actually build it himself. A king came and built it for him because he said, you deserve to live here. Now I tell you all those things so that we see the heart of David. David was still that shepherd boy at heart. He was humble before God the stature that he had been given, this peace that was around him, God had allowed to happen. His heart had not been changed. He still worshipped and praised God. So was this the wrong thing to do, to say that he wanted to build this place for God's ark, this this symbolization of who God was, that he lived in this grand home, but he wanted something better for God's ark. Was that wrong thinking on his part? Shouldn't that be something that he could do as king to show glory and honor to God? This was the passion of his heart. 
No other ruler from the time that this had come about until now had come up with this idea. This was new with David. And if we look in uh, God's word, we, we see that specifically it never was said to do anything other than what was already being done, that the ark would be in a tent. In First Samuel chapter 8 is the idea of the kings, excuse me. Later on, we'll, we'll see that where it comes from that it was God's idea to build something different. If David was living in this home and had not been consumed by this passion of pride, what was different about him? If we look at God's word, it says King Nebuchadnezzar was a great example of one that was puffed up and took on the pride that came with the, the power and the authority. And we see that in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, God's word said, and the end, At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. That's what earthly kings think of themselves. But David went even farther than that. He wanted to know if this was the will of God, so he sought counsel, good counsel, from one of those that was trusted to him, his friend Nathan the prophet, and we have to understand if that's truly who this person was. What is a prophet? In Vine's complete expository dictionary, we read as a definition for a prophet. It says, in general, the prophet was one upon whom the Spirit of God rests. One to whom and through whom God speaks. In the case of the Old Testament prophets, their messages were very largely the proclamation of the divine purposes of salvation and glory to be established in the future. And the prophecies of the New Testament prophets was both a preaching of the divine counsels of grace and already accomplished and the foretelling of the purposes of God in the future. So was Nathan acting like a prophet at that time? Was he actually speaking what God had told him to tell somebody else? No. He was a trusted friend, a good advisor. He looked at the life of David and said, You have done things right. I think this is a good idea. Go ahead. Build that temple. So has the first question been answered? Have we really thought, is obedience to God always a clear path? I am going to say, no, it isn't always a clear path. We read again in God's word, starting at chapter 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell your servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved, 
with all the people of Israel, I did not speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pleasure, excuse me, the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall not afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declared you declares that you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will praise I will raise your your offspring after you you shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom you shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be a to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. In your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before him. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all these visions, Nathan spoke to David. The question is, what is God's answer is no. If God's answer is known, then we should realize, as David should realize, that his way, God's way, his answer is not our way, and his way and his answer is always better. Now we see specifically that Nathan is acting as the prophet. God has revealed to him what he would have David to do about building a home, a house for him. And what did God say? Did God say, no, this is a bad idea? No, not really. What he said was, I have been satisfied with the way that it has been, the way that I instructed you, which goes back to Exodus 40, to live in a tent, for you to show who I am in that way. I have never asked for anything different. And I have not asked for that for you either. And when I've thought of this in the past, I've thought, you know, poor David, he, he's kind of being rejected by God. He, he's got a good idea here. He wants to show glory and honor to God, but God doesn't seem to be wanting to accept it. But, you know, in, in actuality, God is saying to him, 
David, I have even more for you than that. See, we think so many times in our humanness that even when we're serving God, it isn't just the thought and our will that wants that doing things and, and doing ministry for God is not pleasing enough for him. We think that the accomplishment of a task is going to show some recognition, get some recognition from God himself. God has already known in his heart what David was like, what he was going to do. And God said, you don't have to do that. Was there a reward in that for David? I think so. And I think what it shows is God was saying to David, you don't have to labor your life and your kingdom building me this house. I have given you this talent to be able to write to express in poems and songs and through my word that will become my word, your thoughts. The burden of your heart is to serve me and the love that you have. I want you to do that for me, David. I want you to be able to be free of doing and rewarding future generations with the thoughts that I will give you. Words that we read today. But it doesn't just stop there. We see that there's much more. God says that he was going to make a declaration with David. This is a covenant. The same thing that God has done in the past with Abraham himself. And we see that in Genesis 15 where God has told him, I am going to make a great nation of you. God is laying out that same thing, a covenant with David himself. So what does it mean? Is this house going to be built? Will will David build the house? No, it doesn't. But a house will be built because God has said that it will. God has ordained that the descendants of David himself will build that temple. And to show that that will happen and it will be by the grace of God under his power. God lets us know in his word. He says, it doesn't matter if your descendants are going to be like all mankind and be sinful. Have iniquity. I will be the one that accomplishes the work. Because, see, that's what the covenant is. When a covenant is that God ordains... All of the responsibility to keep that covenant is on God himself, not on those that he makes the covenant with. And his descendants would be the ones that would build that temple, but not by their strength, but by God's leading. But there's always also a great declaration to David himself. And as I was looking at this message thinking of this message and studying for it and reading commentaries, what I saw was this is a focal point for so many things throughout God's redemptive history where the covenant with David would produce the line where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come into this world. He made to him a promise. First of all, he said, through your seed, will come the Messiah of the world. 
Your kingdom will have no end. We can't even comprehend that. But we see as God would lay out the, the role of David and his ancestors that that would truly happen. We know that it has to be something more than a physical building because why would he speak of it being forever if it was something that other men in battle could knock down? Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before, before me. Your throne shall be everlasting, established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David wanted to build something that was temporary. God's purpose and promise to him was something that would be eternal. God said, I'm going to have a dwelling place, but it's not going to be a building. It's going to be a temple. It's going to be the perfect temple. It will show perfectly who I am, and that temple will be in the form of the man of Jesus Christ. He himself will come to this earth Live among men, they will see the glory of who I am. John chapter 2. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus stood before these prophets, these people that did not believe who he was, the Pharisees, the scribes. And he said, this temple, the person that I am, you will destroy, that you will kill, but the grave will not hold me. In three days I will come back. This is his statement that they rejected and hated him so bitterly over. But when he left this world, the temple did not depart because as again, his word has told us in First Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We as his saints, saints we as his believer, believers left on this earth are his temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He has brought that to us through redeeming faith. Read again in God's word, starting at verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction of mankind, O Lord, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, 
O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all his greatness to make your servant known, known it. Therefore, you are great, O God, for there is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation and earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and going from them, going for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed before for yourself from Egypt a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of our servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, had made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Our last question. What should be the response of a servant? Humility, faith, and courage. David showed his humility by speaking to God. And it says that this is a prayer. Anytime we be, go before God and are speaking to him, asking him also to speak to us, that, that's prayer. And one thing that I've, I've come to appreciate in my study of God's word is when you want to understand more about prayer, Look at the prayers that are recorded in God's word. How did God's people truly speak with God himself? David continually in this prayer is acknowledging who God is. O God, Lord, Yahweh. He is acknowledging that he is the one true and great God. He knows his heart. We know the nature of God. He sees the holiness, the completeness of who God is. In this prayer, he never asks for anything. He's laying out his heart to God and showing him that he knows that he is a majestic, the one true God. And as much as he does that, he also then allows us to see a glimpse of what he thinks of himself. And in true humility, he said, I am nothing. 
I have always been nothing. Everything that there is, everything that I have become, you are the one that have done that. And continually, over and over again, as many times as what he talks about God and who he is, he says, I am your servant. And we understand that being that servant is so close to being a slave. To being one that is subjected to and underneath the master that is over them. But David not only says that he is willing to be this servant, but he takes pride in the fact that he would be even considered good enough to be a servant of the Most High God. He says about being this servant, it's a badge of honor. I truly find myself blessed to be able to do the work and will of God himself. Matthew Henry would write, For the nearer any are brought to God, the more they see of his glory. And the dearer we are in his eyes, the greater he should be in ours. But what is the response of this servant? What is the response of a servant before God? Faith and courage. Courage and faith. And how has this manifested itself? Tucked away in this scripture is a glimpse and we would miss it, but it's there and we really have to understand and see what it says. And it's in verse 25. And it says, And now, O God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And do as you have spoken. At first we could look at that and say that David is is almost acting arrogantly and saying, God, I'm giving you permission to do what you want. But that's not it at all. What David is saying is, God, I don't understand how you're going to do this. I can't comprehend the vastness of who you are. You need to show me no signs. It isn't like when God revealed his plan to Abraham and Sarah, and they said, we're old. How can this ever happen? There was no questioning. David's faith was so strong, he just said, God, you spoke it. I know that it's going to happen. I am your servant. I will wait. Do we understand that that's the same thing that happened when the disciples came before Jesus and said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, including himself with his disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Thy kingdom become, your will be done. Continually saying, we do not understand your will, God. We don't know what your plan is, but we are saying whatever it is, we accept it by faith and courage and entrusting you. 
And this same, ser- this same, same servant, Jesus, was a servant to all. He was the one that God brought to this earth that said, you will redeem my people. You will be the one that will do my redemptive work. You have left a place of majesty before throngs of angels that sing praise to you. And you will come to this earth and die a death of humiliation and lowliness, be forsaken by me. And those that believe in the redeeming work of what you have done will be called my children. Is obedience to God always a clear path? For us as individuals and as as a group of believers, no, I don't think so. If it was, we as a congregation and as elders wouldn't have been coming together and praying over the decision, are we going to do rock the block this year? Is it something that we can undertake? Is it something that we're committed to? It must seem like a good idea. We're going to be glorifying God. Let's go ahead. No, we, we don't know. So we ask God for direction. Is it a clear path? In Pastor John's message last week, I heard him saying, I've had times of doubt and despair. Never, I believe never has he ever said to himself, did you really, God, put a call on my life? No. But do we know where that path is going to go? Do we know each and every day? It's a hard one to understand. Do we understand that we get together and we say, we want to send a mission trip to halfway around the world again this year. But the government says that things don't look good in that country, that things are not safe. What is the decision? Those things are not clear. And I believe that each one of us has certain situations in our life where we knew that we have to be on God's path, but was it completely clear what he was trying to tell us what to do? What if God says no? We proclaim God's word and it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We continually proclaim that. Even in the times when God says no, he does not say no to following him or that he is always the way, the truth, and the light, and life. If there's one no, it's because there's something else coming. We continue to trust him and that he will reveal to us his will. And what should we do as a response of that of a servant? Continue on. Persevere. Praise God. Equip the saints. Continue to seek God's will in all of our being as individuals and as his people. Are we willing to wear that badge of honor and be servant to God himself? I want to read for you an email that I received from what I believe is a faithful servant. Sam Hamilton is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in 
uh, Midland, and he's also the prayer coordinator for the association. This email comes from him from Pastor George Eagle, and it says, Hi, Sam. We are often wondering about God's timing when we pray for our needs, especially in regard to healing. I'm just elated and grateful to report that Gavin, a seven-year-old boy suffering from liver cancer most of his life, received a liver, received a liver, the surgery went beyond expectations and began working only 30 minutes after the surgery. The miracle part of this is that we have been praying fervently because the window of opportunity was closing fast. God answered the prayer just in time. Imagine that. Also, a teenage boy named Brian received a very difficult match for a heart transplant just hours before a mechanical heart was going to be implanted. The surgeon said there would only be a 1% chance of finding a good match because of his blood type and so forth. And lo and behold, a perfect match was found. Two boys that we have been praying for for a year or more have been given a new chance at life. God is good. God bless you, brother. George. What do servants do? They persevere. If it means praying for a specific thing for a year or more, we continue on and be steadfast because we are serving a holy, faithful, promise-keeping God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I again ask that as we have heard your word, that it has touched our hearts and our minds, Lord, not only with the truth of it, but also with the changing power that it gives us. I pray, Lord, that each day that we are more committed to be that servant that you would have us be, that we know that you are faithful in all that you would have us to undertake under your name and for your glory. I pray that in not knowing in those circumstances where it is not even clear, that we just say again, here am I, send me. Allow us to do your will, to bring honor and glory to you because hearts are changed through the power of your message and your word. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.